Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you that you are an awesome, awesome, awesome God. That we can take our lives, Father, pour them out and give them to you, Father. And you can take our wretched lives and, and multiply and bless and to give us a life worth living. Father, I, I thank you for so many things that you have done in my life. I thank you for the long list of testimonies that are here today in this church where you have changed and transformed, Father, lives that were miserable into lives that are productive and strong and full of joy. Father, continue to nurture that church, Father. Nurture us, Father, so that we can be stronger to go against the perverse and wicked generation that's out there. Father, we thank you. I pray that your spirit would fill us as we go through your word and that you would encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. We've been uh, going through the book of Luke and as we've been introduced to Jesus, we're seeing that Jesus has been coming into a world that is, like we said, the beginning of the creation of the world when the spirit of God came upon a planet that was uh, uh, empty and void. Jesus walks into the scene of the Jewish people that should be serving God and he sees a, a, a religion, a, a time of Israel when it was empty, miserable. They had no clue about spiritual things. Jesus comes into the world, into the planet, into the nation of Israel and he's speaking spiritual truths. Seems like uh, he's like... Uh, 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 water and oil almost. There's such a, a contrast between what Jesus understands of the kingdom of God. He's starting to preach about the kingdom of God. And he's speaking it to religious people who should know the difference, and they don't. And unfortunately, as you and I understand, we look at the world, there are so many people that speak spirituality. They speak it, but they're clueless about it. And uh, everyone's got an opinion on it. Everybody thinks that they're an expert on it. Everybody has certain ideas about it, and they don't understand the kingdom. Now, Jesus today is going to present a very simple truth. I want you to listen to what Jesus is saying, and hopefully less of me and more of Jesus is always good. But Jesus in his own words, and I would challenge you to argue with Jesus' words. I don't think that there's a soul alive that would argue with the passage that's being presented with us, just reading it as it stands. Jesus is making a very solid, strong truth, and it stands to be true, and everyone knows it's right in their heart. And yet, everyone does just the opposite. It's amazing. But as we see Jesus, he's coming into chapter 6, and it says, Now it happened on the second Sabbath after last Sabbath where he was there with the Levi, the tax gatherer, and now he's coming in on a second Sabbath. Here's another episode of Jesus. After the first, that he went through the grain fields. So Jesus on a Saturday, that was the Sabbath. Sabbath, some people deem to be Sundays. It's your day of rest, and for the Jews, it was their Saturday. And so Saturday was the day that they were to cease from their work. They were to focus it 100% on 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 God. And so as you would, the Jew would say, we work six days a week. We take the seventh day off. The seventh day being the end of the week on the calendar is Saturday. And so Saturday was to be devoted to God. And so on a nice, lovely Saturday morning, Jesus is walking through the grain fields. And his disciples, as they're walking through the grain fields, they plucked the heads of grain and ate them. 
rubbing them in their hands. So if you would, what you could do if uh, you see a picture of uh, the grain and it's, it's got the wheat in it and, and as it's growing and it's now ready for harvest, you could pick it up with your hands and you would rub it and you would break the chaff, the loose stuff off, and you could just throw that right into your mouth and eat it straight. It would be like eating what we call grape nuts. <laughs> it's chewy and hard and, and tough to chew on and swallow. It's a lot better when they grind it and bake it and put it in bread, but if you got to eat it straight, you can. And I suppose you can chew on it for a while, and I, I don't know if you've ever had one of them natural organic cereals that you can chew and chew and chew, and it's more exercise. You're going to lose weight just by working your mouth out to eat the stuff. You better have a half hour devoted to breakfast or else you're not going to finish your cereal. And so the disciples, they're just walking through and they're grabbing this uh, grain and they're rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees, they come up and the Pharisees were the religious rulers, the people of the day that were so spiritual. The Pharisees, they said to them, Huh! How can you do this? Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So they're chewing out Jesus' disciples. And the issue is, is that you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And they're going to say, Jesus, hate to split hairs with you, but when you go by and grab that grain of, of, of wheat and you rub it in your hands, that's, that's work. And you're not supposed to work. And so you can see these guys, you know, just, you know, skipping through the, the thing. And they're like, hey, we just want to grab a meal. This is like a snack to us. It's not that big of a deal. And these guys are splitting hairs so much that they want to say, why are you working? You're breaking the law by producing food on the Sabbath. That's work. And if you would, you can say, it's kind of a play on words here. You say, who's picking on who? Is it the disciples picking food, or is it the Pharisees picking on the disciples? Gee, it, it almost sounds like the Pharisees are more consumed with their energy, they're more focused on their work, or the work of, of, of keeping their eyes on everyone else. And as we've said before, as we built into this chapter, we saw that the Religious leaders were taxing the people. That's what we said. Jesus wants to set the people free. He came to, 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 to set the captives free, let them out of jail. And the religious structure of the day and so many religious structures, they just tax people. Levi, who should have been a priest, now just became a tax collector. In so many churches today, it's like, well, have you paid your tithe? And it's a 10% tax that you've got to be levied. And so many churches are just tax collection places of gathering money, and they don't care about the people. And here is where they're taxing the people with these rules and regulations for someone grabbing a snack on a Saturday morning. And Jesus answered them, he says, and choke on this. He says, have you not even read this? Oh, you who are so smart. And Jesus goes, did you ever read your Bible? How about this passage? What do you do with this in your Bible? He says, what David did when he was hungry. What did David do when he was hungry? King David, mighty man of God. When David became hungry, remember the story? He and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, took and ate 
the showbread and also gave some to those who were with him. Hey, hate to clue you in on this, but that wasn't lawful, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he said to them, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So if you would, Jesus says, here's an exception to the clause. You know that spiritual man, David? David, we all love him. We all think he was a prophet. We all think he was a songwriter. Don't we still sing his songs today? He was a great king in Israel. David made a mistake. You've got to bust me, Jesus, for grabbing a, you know, something outside and, and snacking on some wheat. Well, how about David as he went into the temple and the way it was set up was the temple was a, a place where Moses met God and all the priests were to go meet God. It's a place where God dwelt and there were certain things that happened in a the temple. There were lavers and wash bins and places for sacrifices and there was an idol there. It, I'm sorry, not an idol, uh, uh, an altar there. And uh, well, you know, we were talking about that on Ezekiel where they threw an idol in there and uh, God blew a conniption over that on. That's Wednesday night's Ezekiel study. But anyway... They go into the altar and then finally there was this little place of bread that was set up and the priests were to make this bread and bake it and then to give it to God. And they would have one loaf of bread for each of the 12 tribes and they presented it up there and it sat all week and at the end of the week the priests could eat that bread and then they'd put fresh bread out and says, God, we're, we're giving you our grain sacrifices. This is the fruit of the land that we're thankful that you provided for us. We're giving it back. And so David and his trickery and deception comes up to the priest and says, God sent me on a top secret message, miss, mission, sorry, and he says, says, as I'm going on my mission, I'm hungry. Give me something to eat. Well, give me that, give me that bread over there dedicated to God. The priest goes, well, you know, you're king's messenger. You're, uh, I'll give you the bread, and David chomps it down. And yet, you know, David was dead wrong for doing it. But yet, everyone still heralds David as great. And what Jesus is doing is, as it seems like if you really look at the law, read your history, you always find out that there are exceptions to the rule. There are times when the ideal doesn't seem to function. And what Jesus is really driving at, it's a, a tricky point. But he's trying to say, so many people, they glaze their eyes over in a blindness to the exceptions of life. There are people that live in an idealistic fantasy world that everything has to be done a certain way. I think in God's economy, God's way of viewing the world, He understands that the world is full of sin and bumps and bruises, and none of us have ever gone through life saying that we've done it all right. Now that doesn't justify or make it right to do something wrong, but he's starting to show us the glaze that is forming over the Pharisees' eyes. They're blind to exceptions. And, and as it is, as, as you see the Pharisees, they start this process of picking on someone. They want to find certain things that they don't like about somebody and pick on them. High school, junior high, elementary school can be cruel places to send a child. We've all been there. We have all know what it is to be a youth and have someone pick on us, and we've seen youths pick on other people because their ears are too big, their nose is too big, they're too tall, they're too short, they're too fat, they're too thin. And somehow or another, people want to grab hold of something and rip 
people apart. This mindset was in the Pharisees. They were people that enjoyed criticizing, pulling apart, and condemning other people. Uh, and, and what Jesus is saying, as much as we, you and I hate that, we hate it when someone picks on us, the, the question then says, why would we ever want to perpetuate that? A religion that perpetuates that and continues to pick on other people for weird things that happen to them and wants to nitpick, if you would, it starts to destroy and to, and to rip itself apart. And that's exactly where these guys are. It says now, verse 6, he says, watch what happens to the next level as they're going to be so picky. It says, now it happened on another Sabbath. So it's their Saturday again. Jews are supposed to be all praising the Lord. He says that he entered the synagogue, a place of worship, kind of like a satellite temple, if you would. And Jesus was teaching. He taught. And lo and behold, there was a man whose right hand was withered. So I'm not exactly sure what happened. Have you ever seen somebody who's born lame or something? They've got this withered hand. They can't use it. It's just kind of a stump. And this guy's sitting here with this little hand who's withered. And he's just sitting here listening to Jesus, trying to mind his own business, if you would. And, and, and you can hear tribes and the Pharisees underline this. It says they watched him closely. They're staring at Jesus. Whether he would heal on the Sabbath, for what purpose? That they might find an accusation against him. So, check this out. Oh, here comes Jesus. Now, what do they think about Jesus? They go, oh, we know he's a healer. Right? Wow, that's terrible. <laughs> then they're going to turn around and they go, and they're all in this synagogue. Jesus has got to come up and he's starting to teach something. There's a guy over here in the withered hand. And it's almost like you got the uh, crowd in the back. You got the hecklers, if you would. They're sitting back and they're watching. And they're going, oh, man, we see that guy sick over there. I want to go see if Jesus is going to. I bet you he's going to do it, man. I bet you he's going to do it. And if he does, that's work. And you're not supposed to work. Doctors heal people. That's their job. And if you were to heal, that would, be a, that would be work, and then we don't like that. You can hear the attitude. And Jesus, he knew their thoughts. He's watching these gallery up there. And they said to the man who had the withered hand, he goes, check this out. You think that's going to stop me, you and your critical attitude? He says, arise and stand there. So he makes this poor guy, oh, gee, I'm just trying to listen and have a good sermon, and he picks him out and says, stand up. Guys standing up, and Jesus said to them, I want to ask you guys one thing. Can I ask you guys a question? <laughs> Excuse me, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good? Is that a crime? Or, or, or to do evil? To save life or destroy? That's the $64 question. I think every single one of us with an IQ of three can answer. Well, of course it's okay to do good. Okay, it's, a, it's, a, it's all right to save someone's life. What's wrong with doing that? Who cares what day of the week it is, Monday, Tuesday, or Saturday? And so and when he looked around and at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And so the guy says, Okay, act of faith, obedient to the command of the Lord. He did so, and his, and his hand was restored uh, as whole as the other. Wow, praise the Lord. You can hear this guy going, Look, I have the gimpy hand, and it's done. And he's jumping up and having a jig. 
But check this out, the exact same time, the exact same reaction in the opposite direction, but they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Wow! I, had, I couldn't fathom that for the life of me. I don't care how, what, when, where. If I saw some guy that I knew that was sitting in our church and he always had the gimpy hand and I sat down and saw that, I don't care what day of the week it would be, I would be ecstatic. And to realize that there are certain people in this world that criticize and can only be filled with rage on the way something happened and this upset them shows me a complete level of blindness, a total inability to understand the kingdom of God at its fundamental principles of love and caring for someone else. These guys, didn't, they didn't care at all about the man. If you have one ounce of compassion for somebody who has a withered hand, who's been picked on his whole life, whether or not he was born this way or it was a tractor fell on him, I don't know. The guy's obviously his whole life is, has been changed in one direction and now it's going the other direction for good. Anyone who saw that would say, wow, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Nice to have you in town. Great day. But there are people that seem obsessed obsessed with, with putting people down and ripping things apart and condemning other people. I don't know, in, 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 in church, to have, to have good church growth, let's back it up a little bit more. In a, in a church, there's, there's usually, they say, you know, there's 20% of the people that are workers and then there's 80% of the people that kind of float in and flow out and don't really do much. And probably out of the 20% of the workers, you break that working group down, there's two different classes of workers. There's, there's people that we call sponsors, that, that they want to sponsor other people, and that rings a bell to us, like AA, you get a sponsor, people want to come up and support and see someone walking in the door, and they want to say, I want to be your sponsor. And then there's the other group of people that call themselves a gatekeeper. That's what we could call, call, clarify them. Gatekeepers are people that, that you know, are working in the church. They want to be functioning in the church. But, but gatekeepers seem to be people that want to inspect everybody walking through the door. They want to make sure that everybody's doing what everybody should be doing. And they're probably more concerned with, with what people are doing than about the people themselves. They're the type of people that count heads. They're the type of people that, you know... I, you know, they're watching, they're watching the other people. You know, Pastor Dave, did you know that when Chris said for everyone to sit down, this guy over here was standing up, that really bothers me. I just go, well, I just close my eyes and worship Jesus. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care what goes on. Uh, gatekeepers are the type of people, and I don't mean to sound too broad-stroked here, but I... You ever go to a prayer meeting and there's somebody there that's praying with their eyes open? I, I don't know. I don't, I, don't ever, I don't ever trust people that pray with their eyes open. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a few of us in the, in, in the Bible, you know, Bible study prayer meeting. We're all praying, worshiping the Lord. I got my eyes focused. I'm focusing on Jesus. But there seems like there's certain people that sit there and they want to look at everybody else. Oh, I'm praying with you, brother. Well, why is that brother doing this? And why is that brother doing this over there? That's a gatekeeper. 
And it seems like gatekeeper type mentality people, and they're usually workers, they're usually very diligent, they're usually some of the backbone of the church because they want everything to run right, but they seem more concerned about what the people are doing. They got their eyes and they said, well, what are people doing? They, now listen to this, they don't care about the people. They, they don't care really that their heart goes out to this. this guy, these Pharisees were the gatekeepers. They turned around and they said, they said, we're, we're concerned what you did to this guy. We don't care about this guy. Can you understand that difference? There's a night and day difference there. They were consumed with whether this guy was giving and tithing and, and sitting there and, and, and polite and in the right garb and doing all the right things, but they didn't care about him, that he was healed. There's something, there's something wrong with that. Now, it's interesting that if someone comes into the church and we want to grow the church, we want people to feel welcomed, for people, for people to, to come into a church and to feel like they're a member. So if you come to this church and you want to feel like you're a member of this church, we don't have church membership. People that grow churches and they analyze this type of stuff, they say that, that people will feel like the, the church is their home church if they've been touched seven times. So when you come and visit a church and you want to sit there, you need to be touched seven times. Now, to be touched, that could be, wow, that sermon really stirred my heart. Wow, someone came up to me and shook my hand, double bingo points if you go, and they remembered my name. And when someone walks through the door so many times, there has to come a process that people can be touched, that they can be uh, uh, felt, that they can be, uh, uh, feel that, you know, I had seven good buttons pushed on me in a row, and then, if something bad happens in that process, after the seven buttons are pushed, it seems like people can put up with it. But, if I offend you and have a bad sermon, a bad worship time, I forget your name, or something else happens, and you feel like, oh, that's just so grievous, and I haven't had seven buttons pushed in it yet, you're going to walk out the door and go find another church. Now, what happens is, hopefully, there's people in the church that have an attitude of being a sponsor. And they realize that people need to be touched. Oh, how, hey, how are you doing? Was your, oh, you had a baby. I, I noticed that, you know. And hey, what's the baby's name? And hey, how are things going? Wow. Now, hopefully other people in the church, they feel that they want to be a sponsor. And, it, it, and they want to go under people and support them and love them and feel that they're being touched. But you know what? If the church is full of gatekeepers, everyone smells that. And everyone feels like I'm just a number. They just want my dollar. They just want me to stand there and be part of, you know, the lemming crowd that follows what everyone else does. And God forbid I break that mold or else I'm going to get kicked out. And, and what has to happen, you, you, the, the, the gatekeepers have to understand that they need the sponsors to go up and to minister to the people. And, you know, unfortunately... The Pharisees have just become gatekeepers. That's all that they're doing here. They're just taking inventory of people. And you can't see a, a stronger, clearer contrast of them being filled with rage over someone being touched by God. When someone should be to say, Wow! God showed up and did a miracle. I'm happy for the man. And there's something seriously wrong with people that are more consumed with, with judging people, inventorying people, watching people, than seeing the hand of God work. 
And that's what we want as our church, to say, Lord, I don't ever want to become like this. I want to be like your kingdom. I want true spirituality and not to have this uh, uh, judgmental attitude. How can someone be filled with rage over a healing? I can't fathom that. I can't fathom that. Same thing, it's the scariest verse in the Bible. John chapter 11, Jesus goes in and raises Lazarus from the dead. Everyone sees that Jesus, they're there to mourn the guy who's dead. He's dead four days in the grave. Jesus raises him up. And the only thing is that so many people are filled with rage that they go back and tell the Pharisees, we got to kill this Jesus. Dude, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Did you just see the miracle? How much proof do I got to give you? The power of God. Strange. Strange. So it says, now it came about in those days that he went into the mountain to pray. And he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. So this is the third time in the Gospel of Luke that you see that Jesus separated himself for prayer. Hello, might be important. And from them, Jesus, uh, as, uh, as he uh, called his disciples to himself, from them he chose twelve in whom he also named apostles. Apostles are being sent out people. So a disciple is someone who's got to train, and an apostle is somebody who's being sent out, commissioned, if you would. And so it says, uh, here are the 12, verse 14. It says, Simon, who was also called Peter, and uh, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called the Zealot. Judas, the son of James, not to be confused with Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. So if you would, it's interesting. You're seeing Jesus is selecting 12 of his disciples. Uh, interestingly enough, there's two Simons, two Jameses, and two Judases. And, uh, and hence, you see that some of them, you know, uh, they changed their names to certain things. Obviously, if you were Judas, the son of James, <laughs> you'd have to say that real quick. In case you're meeting somebody, you know, after uh, Jesus rose from the dead. I didn't kill him. I didn't, I, not me. Don't confuse me. There's two Simons, two Jameses, two, two Judases. And so they switch their names around a lot. There's different things that are happening. But notice, if you would, there's also, there's nobody here who has a title. You're not seeing Senator James. You're not seeing President so-and-so. Jesus isn't picking uh, the elite, uh, titled people with positions. He's taking the common man with common names that seems like everybody has. And if you would, Jesus always elevates the common he doesn't take the best in the class. He's just taking the common guy and he's going to work with them to be his disciples. But let's not get off on that. That's just kind of a nugget of information that's thrown in by Luke. And I love this next verse, verse 17, and I almost want to highlight it. And if I had a business card, you'd almost want to put this verse on a business card. And it says, And he came down with them and he stood on a level place with a crowd. That's all you need. What a beautiful verse. Jesus came down. He came down to them and Jesus stood on a level place with a crowd. Didn't puff himself up. He didn't stand up above everyone else. He's going to be on the level. That's really the whole purpose of this whole chapter. It's really the whole purpose of the whole book of Luke. It's really the whole purpose of the whole Bible. Everything you need to know. Right there in that one verse. That Jesus was on a level place with the crowd. You and I. Jesus comes down and he's with us, among us, 
and he's leveling with us. So he uh, came and he stood on a level place with the crowd and of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, uh, from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. They're coming because they know Jesus is not going to criticize them, but to heal them, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed, and the whole multitude sought to touch him. For power went out from him and healed how many? Healed them all. That's the power of Christ. That's the effect of walking the kingdom way. And now Jesus is going to give us his sermon. This is what Jesus spoke, preached, and said. Verse 20. He lifted up his eyes towards the disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you. Well, gee. Uh, and when they exclude you, and they pick on you because of your ears, and they revile you, and cast out your name as evil and especially for the Son of Man's sake, because you call yourself a Christian and they pick on you. He says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. So be happy that the people that are the in crowd, supposedly, who love to judge other people, and Jesus is saying it's better to be, to be hurt by the in crowd than to be part of the in crowd. Because the in crowd that likes to pick on everyone in the outside is so against the principles of God. He says, but woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Enjoy your comfort while you got it. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all, speak, when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. So Luke is, is giving us the Beatitudes, if you would. He's condensing certain things. He's simplifying certain things. If you were a keen student of the Bible, you could realize that uh, the back part of Luke chapter 6 is really a, a condensed version of what Matthew in his gospel does in chapters you know, 5, 6, and 7. Matthew goes through three chapters. Luke has got to put it all together. And, and what Luke is trying to say in a nutshell, he's trying to say, things are not as they appear. We live in a world, we think that the world operates and people are laughing at us, picking on us and putting us down. We're trying to stand up to do the right thing and nobody seems to understand. And what Jesus is saying, in God's economy, the kingdom of God, God's going to take care of you. Don't you worry about what they say. 
Don't you worry about the, the gatekeepers over there taking their inventory, counting you, and, and trying to categorize you so they can make fun of you and put you down to control you and to manipulate you. You've got to break against that system and realize God's system is someone who loves the poor, the weak, and the destitute, and the hungry. God cares about these things, and he's going to bless you in the hereafter. While those who have the money and are laughing, and they think that they're king of the world now, when God's kingdom comes, in the afterlife, if you would, they have nothing. It's a completely different set of standards, a completely different mode of operation. Bullies don't win. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Oh, come on. Not spitefully use me. I mean, there's people out there that are just trying to get underneath my skin. And I'm supposed to just love them? To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give him your hat. Give to everyone who asks of you. Mm. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask for them back. And then this is the killer line. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. That's everything in a nutshell. That's the golden rule. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? You don't earn any brownie points for that. For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? Even banks do the same, right? Gee, what a lovely bank, you know. They're up here, they're telling me that they're my friend and they're a good neighbor, and I'm going to go there, I'm going to borrow money, I'm going to pay them back all their money, and I'm going to give them interest. Gee, aren't they just so nice to me? You try not paying back your loan, and you'll find them coming after you and seizing your house. They're not nice! A real nice guy would be to say, hey, I understand, you can't pay me back, don't worry about it. You and I would all say, that's a nice guy. <laughs> I could handle that. I could work with you. You know, I make mistakes. If I make a mistake, I can't pay back the loan. Hey, how about a little mercy here, right? Isn't that way we all want to be treated by our friendly bank? We don't want them coming after us to seize us. And if that be true, well, how are we when sending justice to us? Are we showing mercy back to them? Or are we just acting like the rest of the world? You have to give back to someone who may have offended you. For even sinners lend to sinners to receive back as much. Verse 35, but love your enemies, do good and lend, hope for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to who? The unthankful and evil. God puts up with a wicked, perverse generation of a world that you and I were once part of. He seems to allow this ball to keep spinning around in space for whatever purpose he's allowing it to continue. Isn't he nice? 
Why can't we let other things continue? Why can't we be like God and just let things go? Some injustice in this world, can't we try and extend that same amount of love back? He says, therefore, what? Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, uh, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Wow. Now, keep all these verses in light of the scenario that's painting the backdrop here, and that's this guy with a withered hand. Here's some guy with a withered hand that, that, that is being healed, and a bunch of people can't even accept that, and they're still ripping apart this guy, and they're filled with rage. Jesus is saying, what do you think is going to happen when you stand before the Lord on Judgment Day? It's the big $64 question. What happens on Judgment Day as we stand before the Lord? Jesus is telling you. You're going to be judged to the same measure that you've been judged, that you judge others. If you're mean, picky, a gatekeeper, inventory everybody, rip apart everybody and criticize everybody for not being the way it's supposed to be. You can expect God to be mean, picky, judgmental, and rip you apart for every little thing you've ever done wrong. Expect it. That's what Jesus says. You're going to be measured the same, same way you measured it. It's going to be measured back to you. The way that you judge, you're going to be judged. The way that you condemn, you're going to be condemned. So what does that tell you? Well, it's real simple. <laughs> Man, if I see you and you steal, you rob, you cheat, what do I say? It's all right. It's okay. I understand, brother. Been there. Hey, we all make mistakes. Wouldn't the world be a lot nicer if everybody ran around and said, Hey, you didn't, you didn't pay back the 500 It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's all right. We all make mistakes. But if I turn around and says, You good-for-nothing, worthless person, you have stolen from me. You spiteful. You borrowed it knowing you need back. I can't stand people like you. It's my righteous indignation that comes out. Boy, expect to be looking at God with that same, you know, just look in the mirror. That's all you say. Look in the mirror, you're looking at God. Now, you, you, either have to, you, either have to, you either have to really walk a pretty perfect line with your life and say, well, I'm up to it, buddy. I, I do everything right. I walk, I fast, I love it. I'm perfect. You can try and escalate your works to the perfection of your judgmentalism. Or what I would do, I think it's a lot easier to lower your words and your standards so that anybody can get in. Hey, praise the Lord. I want to be as nice and as kind as I... Hey, it's all right. It's okay. Yo, hey, take my hat too. You want my jacket? Take my... It's all right with me. Because I know when I stand before the Lord, I'm going to need an awful lot of mercy. I want God to be generous and saying, I don't worry about all that. Dave, you blew it a thousand times. Who cares? Well, that doesn't bother me. That's the way I want God on Judgment Day. <laughs> Dave gave. He loved. He shared. He did everything. Everyone stabbed him in the back, and he was still happy and giving more. And then God's going to say this, Dave, you stabbed me in the back. You told me you were going to be my son. And you know, look at you. you. You did everything wrong, but it's okay. That's the way we want it to be. 
I want God to be understanding the situation. And he spoke a parable to them, verse 39. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But you do not perceive the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye. Duh. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. If you're mean and stinky and grumbly, that's because your heart's that way. If you understand the gospel that your sins have been forgiven, then you can be generous because your heart is made right with God. And you can be speaking forth what is good. Verse 46 should be underlined in your Bible. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Let me read that again. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock, and when the floods arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. That's the clear, simple message that Jesus taught. You can read it yourself. It's right there. You don't need to understand it in the Greek, because in the Greek it says the exact same thing. Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom of heaven, the spiritual truths, and I would beg anyone to tell me that there's something wrong with this theology. Every single person here would agree wholeheartedly, yep, that's right. You're going to be a hypocrite if you say one thing and do another. So many people are blind to their own sin, yet they are obsessed with finding other people's sin. And Jesus begs the question. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? 
Can you hear Jesus up there saying, I got so many people that just love to call themselves Christians. They just run around and just in the name of Christ, they are just picky, obstinate, and they're more like a Pharisee than they are like a Jesus. There are so many people that are the gatekeepers, so many people that want to watch over everybody, so many other people that are so consumed of what everyone is doing, but they don't care about someone else. I don't know how that works. The world's full of them. I think if we said, show me your hands, every single one of us would say, yep, I know about five of them. Yep, been there. And, and Jesus is begging us to say, excuse me, if you, are, if you are a believer in Christ, then you are a sponsor. You are somebody who looks at somebody, sees the pain, doesn't care if it's Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. You want to alleviate the pain. You want to rectify the situation. And if you can't do it yourself, you're at least happy when it happens to someone else. Does it, you know, when you're doing something, you're out there bowling and, you know, you're out there, you know, throwing the ball down there and your partner goes up and throws a strike. Can you say, wow, man, that's awesome. I'm glad you bowled a strike. Oh, I'm sick of him. I want to beat him. You know, how many times do we see God working and, and, and people being blessed and we can only react to it in a negative sense? And Jesus is begging us. He's telling us. He's saying to us. He says, if you give, if you give, it will be, it will be uh, pressed down, good measure, shaken together, running over. And that's the whole key to it, to say, I want to give. I want to be someone who's making the world better. I want to be happy to see something good happening. And I like that. That's like, you ever open up a box of cereal? And, and if, you, if you get a box of cornflakes... You, you, you turn around and, and you open up this big box and then it's got a bag inside of it and you open up the bag and then all of a sudden you open it up, look inside, it seems like it's half full. And then there's a real tiny print that says, you know, sold by weight only. And he says, uh, contents were full upon shipping. But what happened, right, is that as it sits in the truck, it goes through the conveyor belts, it sits in the store, and then the boxes moved around, all the little cornflakes start to shuffle all down through the thing, because I guess when they stick it all in there, you think, I'm, you know, I'm sure they make a big bag, but you know, after a while, it all settles down together. And you go, man, I got robbed. I bought a bag of air and you know, a half a bag of cereal, you know? And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, you know, that's not the way it is with him and his blessings. His blessings are real. They're substantial, that they're full, that they're, that they're pressed down, they're shaken together, they're, they're running over the top. And that's what can be added to your bosom. That's what goes to your heart when you know that you can go into a situation and actually make someone else's life better. When you can come alongside somebody and love them and support them and see something happening. And even if it costs you something where people borrow things from you and they don't pay it back. When people spitefully use you, you can at least go to sleep at night and says, I did my part, I gave. I gave unto the Lord. And the Lord says, I see that you gave and I can bless you back tenfold, a hundredfold. You're going to be shaken together, pressed down. Your, your, your blessings are substantial. And when you want to sit down there and pick and pick and pick and pick and pick and pick everyone else apart, when you want to judge, you know what happens? You live a miserable life. I've watched a lot of people and I've said, man, you're pathetic. 
You're a miserable wreck. I don't know how you don't get cancer at, you know, 40 because you're just a nervous wreck. I don't, I, I don't know what happens with people, you know. I, why can't you sleep at night? Because you're miserable. And, 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 and so many people are miserable. And if you talk to those people, they rip apart everyone. There's no joy in their heart. There's no, there's no satisfaction. It's tension. It's, it's ripping things apart. And there's such complete joy in to be able to say, this is true spirituality. This is the way the kingdom of God is built. This is what God wants me to do in my life. And God is saying, you're right. I need to turn around and to live a little bit kinder. And then Jesus is telling me, hey, God is going to be the reflection of you in the mirror come judgment day. You can either start shaping up and living an awful lot better, which is impossible to please you, or you can change your attitude, change your words, and start to be a little bit more graceful, a little bit more merciful. And if you conduct yourself that way, you will start to see the power of God start to work. And it's just a clear, simple picture of some guy sitting there, and he's saying, man, my life stinks. i got a withered hand. Man, and Jesus healed me. And if you can't see something like that and say, well, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Wow, I'm happy for you. Well, Jesus, he, he, he took care of his withered hand. Why doesn't he take care of my problems? What's wrong with him about me? That's what everyone says. How come he did that for him and he didn't do that for me? Man, let up. Be happy. Rejoice. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey, 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 hey. If all that is hard to do and we fail miserably in our lives, Jesus says, then you are, have a teacher. And if you, if you are going to do everything your teacher says, you're never going to rise above your instructor. You catch that line in there? And at least I can turn around and say, Lord Jesus, disciple me. I want to hear your words. I want to hear your teaching. And I want to be like you because... On my best day, I want to be as good as you are. And it's amazing on how many of us are discipled and trained by the rest of the world who loves to say, well, this is why we pick apart people. We don't want people like that around us. We can sit down and judge people like that. And if you really want to be part of the in crowd, then you're going to be like us. And there's a whole world out there that is trying to gain you as a disciple. And you better look at that and say, well, if I want to start to be like this in crowd that's picking on everyone else, and if I don't want them to pick on me, then I'm going to be like them. And then you've got to turn around and say, is that really what I want to become? Do I want to emulate that in my life? Do I want to follow that? I should at least be able to say, Lord, I'm a miserable failure. I've failed at everything I can do. But I know what I'm trying to do, and that's to be like you. We're going to take communion. And as we partake of communion, maybe we can start to pass out the elements. The elders can come forward. Those are the select royal family that have passed my scrutiny and tests. <laughs> or they were dumb enough to come early for church and we hooked them into it. <laughs> but the thing that Jesus is, is asking you and I to do as we partake of communion He's asking us to sit down there and to say, we need to be like Christ. We want to follow the leading that Christ has given us. And as we partake of communion, communion is a simple act to say, Jesus, you're my leader, you're my disciple. 
Communion is a time for you and I to remember the cross of Jesus Christ as our leader and our example that he suffered and died for you and I. That at that time when we needed to be loved the most as a sinner, Jesus came and gave his all to you and I. He was beaten, he was whipped, he was tortured for you and I. So that you and I could say, Father, I needed a sacrifice to get into the kingdom of heaven, something to substitute my sins for Christ's perfection. And I want to identify with everything and all that you are. I want to emulate. I want to copy. I want to become one with a common union, a communion with you and your Lord. And this is a time for us to say, Lord, use me, move me. Whether you like it or not, you just heard the uh, best uh, marriage counseling money can buy. You just heard a message that's worth more than going to the psychiatrist a hundred times. Everything you need to know is right in what the message of Jesus just said. And you need to take the message that's in front of you and be perfectly trained in the like manner to be like Christ. As we're going to partake of the bread and then the cup, all we're doing is we're identifying with Jesus. Jesus is the one that we're trying to follow after. It's his ways that lead us to the path of life. The message that was heard today is the core of everything that Jesus teaches. This is the simple message of the kingdom of God. It's asking us to give. Jesus gave to us, and we want to be givers by giving our life back to Christ. When you take this wafer, when you drink the cup, you're identifying with Christ. We're calling him Lord. And as we call him Lord, we want to be obedient to fulfilling what was said here, to do, to give, to share, to sponsor. Father, as we partake of this bread, Father, it represents your body that was broken, a price that was paid for love. Father, I pray that we would understand that we need to pay a price of laying down our life, putting aside our judgmental attitude, being merciful as you are merciful towards our brother. Father, if there's any sin in our heart, any anger, any frustration, I pray, Father, you'd wipe it away and you'd wash it away. Father, we want to confess our sins. We know that you're faithful to forgive us. Father, help us to lower our anger, our levels of intolerance towards one another. Father, help us to be broken as Jesus was broken. Father, we take this bread, Father, in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. Father, you suffered to the point of your blood being shed. That blood is what washes us and cleanses us. It's what gives us strength, Father, to carry on. Father, we want the blessings of the kingdom and not the, not the stale, raunchy life of this world. Father, we need you. We pray that as you, we partake of this cup that your blood would just wash us and cleanse us and to make us new. Father, we want to be like you and live your way and not the way of this world. Father, we partake of this to seal the deal for the forgiveness of our sins, Father. We accept this cup, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.